speak to the passage. I will not uh, read it this morning, um, but we will conclude this series uh, as we've been looking at Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel. And we've talked throughout the last uh, several weeks about Daniel. You may be seated uh, this morning. I, I won't read the passage, just the length of the passage. Um, but we've been looking at this book uh, that God has given us through this character, Daniel, this godly man, Daniel. And we've looked at the idea of the sovereignty of God throughout each chapter, chapter 1 through 6. We'll look at it again this morning. That God is sovereign and in control of all things. Do we believe that this morning? That, that God holds all things. And we've looked at that. We're going to look at that again this morning. The sovereignty of God. And my prayer for us as we've been journeying through this book is that we would really believe that. That in every situation, in every circumstance, that God really does hold it all in His hands. All of it. The sovereignty of God. That God in this very moment sits on His throne and is ruling over all of creation. And we've looked at that extensively through these six chapters. We won't get into uh, the, the seven through the end, that, that's more, they, they read like Revelation, and um, I just don't want to teach that yet. Um, so I've decided, and I can do that because I'm the pastor, uh, to hold off on that, and when we get ready, we'll teach on that. And when I mean we, I mean me, uh, we'll teach on that. Those are some frightening uh, uh, passages of Scripture. And so, uh, but for me, as I've looked and studied this book, uh, God has really used this book over these last uh, several months to speak to my heart uh, about how he is in control of all things and I pray he's done that for you this morning as well in this series as well and so here we are we'll conclude this uh, this series here in Daniel chapter 6 it's kind of the climactic part of the narrative uh, this is the narrative section of Daniel and so we get to the climactic part it's one of the most famous uh, stories in all of scripture Daniel in the lion's den many people that never even darkened the doors of church have heard about this story and, and my hope for us this morning is that we don't just look at this story as a children's story we don't just look at it as some cute story with a man that got put into a pit and this man kind of hung out with the lions and then he was rescued that is the story but there's so much more to the story than that and so I hope to journey through and get to the end to show to each of us, my goal for us at the end, we'll see that Daniel was a picture of Christ to come. Like this chapter and one of all the scriptures points us to Christ, maybe more than any other place in Daniel so far. And so my hope is that we'll see this man Daniel shows us as a pre-shadow to Christ, our risen Savior. So we'll look at nine P's this morning through this text. So if you're taking notes, we're going to look at nine P's. We'll start with the first one. It's in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says this, It pleased Darius to set up the kingdom, a hundred satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give an account so that the king might not, might not suffer loss. So the first P that we see is that, again, Daniel has been placed here by the sovereignty of God. Remember, back as a little boy, he got taken into exile. And here we are some 90 years later, most scholars say. Here's an old man, and throughout the book of Daniel, we see that God 
continues to use Daniel in sovereign ways and places him right where he wants to be placed. Daniel, we see the word promotion. Daniel is promoted. He's promoted, again, if you remember back in chapter 5, uh, Belshazzar said, I'll make you third in all the land. And then that night, Belshazzar was killed, and here we go, in 90 years, some 30 years beyond that day, and it says that Darius placed him third over all the land. God was using Daniel for his purposes. Get that. God was using Daniel for God's purposes, not for Darius's purposes, and we'll see why at the end of the text. We'll see why that God chose to promote Daniel into this kingdom under Darius. There's a reason for that. And I believe for all of us, we've got to see how has God placed you where God has placed you. All of us in this room have been placed where you're at for a purpose and a reason. You you don't just have the job you have because you were smart. Maybe that's part of it. You don't have the job you had because you did well in an interview, though that might be part of it. You don't have the job you have, you fill in the blank. You have the job you had because God in His sovereignty decided to promote you for His purpose. And so are you and am I using my promotion to do what God set me to do there? I promise, I say it all the time here. You are at your job way more than a paycheck. You are at school way more than an education. You are, wherever you are at, the domain that God has placed you in is for his purpose and his renown. But do we see that? You see, Daniel saw that. Daniel understood that. Daniel got that. We're going to get there in verse 10. Daniel understood that his promotion for, for, into this kingdom was for a purpose way bigger than looking after the king's goods. Right? That's, that's what it says. He was promoted, the third in all the land. How come? So that the king might not suffer. And so if that's all that Daniel wanted to do, if that's his whole mentality, hey, I've been put here in this position so that the king might not suffer, he will not do what we see him do in verse 10. Just spoiler alert. If his mindset was to protect the goods of the king because of his promotion, he would not do verse 10. So here Daniel is 90 years old, kind of getting to the end of his life, and yet God uses him. Now I could preach a sermon just on that and that alone. This is the beauty of Powell's Chapel. We're multi-generational. And so, so often, and I'll speak to the wise men and women in the room. That's what God says. If you have gray hair, you are God's uh, wisdom to us younger men. Please don't quit at 60. Please don't. Please don't think, if I just get the 65, I get the 70, I can retire and I can just coast. Thank God Daniel did not have that approach. Thank God that Daniel did not retire. God used Daniel all the way to the end of his life. And my prayer is for us, Powell's Chapel, that we don't get to this mark and in all that God has done, we get to this place of this benchmark. If I just get here, then I'll just coast the rest of the way. I could preach a whole sermon on that. But here's Daniel at 90 years old in the most amazing kingdom in the known world. He's third in command and he continues to be faithful to where and what God has called him to do. But next we see this, the next P in verse 4 through 9, the plot. 
Right, so Daniel's in there. He's uh, taking care of it. And this is what it says in verse 3. Then, then Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and the satraps because of what his excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over all the whole kingdom. So here we see the plot. Here, here's what's going on. Here's the part of the story. Daniel's put into promotion. He's put into promotion by, by God because of his excellent spirit. He's, then it says that the king is going to place him above everyone else. And then it says in verse 4 what? The plot happens. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground of complaint or fault because he was faithful and no error of fault was found in him. And then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of, the God, with the law of his God. And so all of a sudden, Daniel's put into this high position and all of a sudden, the people that are underneath and around Daniel become very jealous. They become very furious with Daniel. And they say, hey, Daniel's been placed above us, and therefore we're upset with that. And we're going to make this plot against Daniel, and we're going to find a way that we can accuse Daniel. I, I don't know about you, but when I was reading this passage, this came to my mind, this question for us. How often do I get jealous when other people tend to get promoted when I don't. Like, maybe it's not externally, but maybe for us in the church, maybe it's not like these men, that they, it becomes external for them, but maybe for us in the church, it's internal. Like, do I really uh, get angry when other people around me seem to always catch all the breaks? Like, do I get furious internally well these men got furious internally and their fury turned external they wanted to kill daniel we'll see that in a moment and so here daniel is he is placed in this high position in the in in the kingdom and these men come to him and they say hey how can we find fault against him and the other question that came to my head in my own life is this if people were going to come find fault against me, could they find fault against me? You see, Daniel, it says that these men came to Daniel, they looked to find fault, but they could find no ground to stand on, basically. They could find no fault in Daniel's life. Here's a man that had lived 90 years, and here's these other people around him, and they could find no fault in him. What a man of character and boldness, and courage. Think of all the ways throughout we've studied in these first five chapters, place after place after place after place that Daniel could have folded. Right? Daniel could have folded when his friends went into the fiery furnace. Daniel could have folded when he got brought before the king with the right and oil. All these places Daniel could have folded. But no, Daniel remained faithful to God, it says. He remained faithful, and they could find no fault. And so what did they do? They decided to do the one place they knew they could twist it is they could find fault against his righteousness and holiness and his connection and relationship with God. They said, hey, we can't find it anywhere else. 
But maybe if we come up with a plan, the plot is if we find something against him that we know he'll stand for, then he'll stand for God and he won't stand for the king. So they make this plot. So the plot thickens. It says, in connection with their God, then verse 6, it said, these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to the king, O King Darius, live forever all the high officials. You can underline the word all. That's a lie because we know it's not all because Daniel wasn't in on that conversation. And all the uh, perfects and all the satraps and all the counselors and all the governors are in agreement that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, sign the document. So here's the plot. They're going to set Daniel up They're going to make a decree that, hey, we know this is a righteous man. We know this is a holy man. We've seen how he's lived. We've seen his relationship with God. So we're going to attack his relationship with God. We know this is a man of prayer. So what if we come up with a law that says, hey, we're going to make a law that no one can pray to anyone but King Darius. Well, these are some wise men. So they stroke the ego of the king. So in that moment, they go to the king and they basically say to the king, hey, for the next 30 days, you be the only God. And his ego being stroked, the king said, okay, okay. And so here the plot begins to thicken. You see, I I love this part of the passage. Here it is, verses 1 and 3, God promotes Daniel, verses 4 through 9. Now the plot thickens. You would think at 90 years old, God would give the man some comfort. Like enough is enough already, man. My, My man Daniel's been through it, and then some. But here's what we know to be true about God. Here's what one writer says. God is not committed to your comfort. He's not committed to making your path or my path through life smooth. He is committed to sanctifying us and demonstrating us in his own glory in and through us. And very often, that commitment means he will subject our earthly vessels to pressures that would certainly shatter us were his grace not sufficient for us. And so here's the moment in a 90 years old, I, I, Daniel was, it wouldn't be like me. Daniel's like, okay, like God is sovereign. God's in control. And here it is. They, they have something against me. See, my deal would be, man, I just want comfort. Okay, I mean, I've lived 90 years on this planet. Just give me some comfort. Let let me say this loud and clear again and reiterate what this man said. God is not committed to yours and my comfort. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God's not committed to your comfort, first and foremost? God is committed to your holiness and to your righteousness and ultimately to your sanctification because if he knows you are, he's committed to your holiness, righteousness, sanctification that your life will be what he designed it to be it will glorify him for all of eternity starting today not starting when you when you die not starting with i die so thank god he's not uh committed to our comfort remember we saw this in first peter 
when we studied first Peter and this we rejoice that now for a little while if necessary we have been grieved by various trials so that the testing of genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes through the test of fire may be found to be a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus God is not committed to our comfort God is first and foremost it's what Jared's saying and Leah's saying he's committed to his glory and his glory alone and so he knew and he set this up I'll say it again God set this up for his glory you will see that at the end God if you want to say it this way God set up Daniel to use Daniel in the lion's den so that he would get glory do we believe that Because if we don't believe that, then we believe that King Darius had all control and all the power. And it was Darius's idea. It was these wise men's idea to throw Daniel in the lion's den. No, no. It was God's idea. It was God's plan for Daniel's life. For his sanctification and ultimately for God's glory. Oh, but the character of Daniel shines through. The perseverance of Daniel. So here's this document that's been signed. The document is, if anyone in all the land is caught praying to anyone but King Darius, they're going to be thrown into the lion's den. Circle this in your Bible. When Daniel knew, circle that in your Bible. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. It can be read like this. The moment that Daniel heard the document was signed, what did Daniel go do? What did he go do? The moment the signature was on the piece of paper, it said the moment that Daniel knew the document was signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, opened towards Jerusalem, got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God to his God as he had done previously. We see this about Daniel, the character of Daniel. You see, Daniel could have come up with the idea, hey, I could go, I can shut my blinds, I can shut the windows, I can pray all by myself, I can pray to God, no one will have to know, it'll look like I'm doing the decree, I'm really not, or I can lay down in my bed, pray a prayer, no one will have to know. But what did it it say he do? He remained faithful to how he had always done it. Did you catch that? As he had done previously Daniel was a man of character and he said God has called me to pray and to pray and to pray and this is how I'm going to pray and nothing in all of creation will change what God's told me to do this is a 90 year old man now again I'm 90 I want some comfort first of all if I'm 90 I'm probably not going to be able to get on my knees to pray because if I get down I'm probably not going to be able to get back up But here Daniel is. He goes to his upper chamber where he prays. He faces his face towards Jerusalem. That's key in this passage. Underline that one word, Jerusalem. There's a reason he prayed towards Jerusalem. It's found in Jeremiah. Some 150 years before that, the prophet Jeremiah said, hey, my people, God was speaking to Jeremiah, and God said to Jeremiah, my people will be in captivity in Babylon, and I will rescue them. And so for the next 90 years, we see Daniel is praying that prayer. God, rescue, 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 
rescue. And he faces towards Jerusalem. Does that not sound familiar to another man? If you ever get a chance to read Luke, read all the times that it says, God, Son, Jesus, face Jerusalem. For one reason and one reason only. So that the captives would be set free. And so here Daniel is praying his face. He opens the blinds and faces towards Jerusalem, gets on his knees and prays three times so that the prophet Jeremiah, he would see the fulfillment of that prophecy. And I wonder if that day, I wonder if there wasn't a twinge of discouragement for Daniel. Like, man, God, I've been, I've been praying for 90 years for this. I've been praying for 90 years that you'd set your people free. And I'm not going to get to see it. Like Daniel knew that. Daniel knew if he prayed, he wouldn't see the prophecy fulfilled. He knew that. He knew, hey, if I get caught praying, I'm going to the lion's den. All the kings before me are crazy. This dude's really crazy, and he really will throw me into the lion's den. And I wonder that day, walking home after hearing, he just sunk his head and thought, man, all the ways I was hoping to see it. It's not going to happen. Now, I wonder if that moment Satan said, hey, then don't pray and you'll get to see it. And yet Daniel, in his faithfulness to what God had called him to do, was pray. He ran upstairs, flew open the blinds, and cried out to the holy God. God, I may never see it, but I'll praise you because your prophet said it will happen, and so it will happen. It may not happen in my lifetime, but your promise will always come true. And so he didn't falter, he didn't budge, he didn't change. He set his face toward Jerusalem and prayed. So we know that this was a man of character, a man of great prayer. We know that he was a disciplined man, and we know that he prayed regularly. Would it be said about you and me if this would be true, if something decree was placed? And would it say about Todd, and he prayed and he's always done? Is my life, is your life, church, marked with prayer? Three times a day, this man, for 90 years, prayed towards a holy God. Consistency. Deliberate. And with great conviction. Is that true for me? Is that true for you? And so here it is. The moment of the story. I wonder if they had, like, those in verse 11, it says, here, here it comes. Here, here comes the, the, the judgment against these people, against Daniel. They'd set him up. I wonder if they're hiding in the bush. I wonder if they're hiding around the corner. And I wonder if they had, like, binoculars looking into that upper room. They had seen Daniel pray there all the time. This was in his prayer chamber. So I wonder if those men were setting Daniel up and they knew, hey, he's going to hear the decree. We know he's a godly man. We said that. The only way to get to Daniel is through his God. And so I wonder if they were sitting there. He goes home and in that very moment, he gets on his knees, begins to pray. They bum rush the room and, and they say, ah, caught you. Caught you, Daniel. And what does it say they did? They see it happening. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making a petition and plea before God. They see it. Then what do they do? Then in verse 12, they came near and said before the king, 
concerning the injunction. Oh, king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den? Here comes the penalty. And then he says to the king, and the king answered and said, the, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is the exile from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And so here's what we see these men do. They first stroke the ego of the king. They don't go to him and say, hey, hey, we saw Daniel doing this. They, they go to him and say, hey, king, didn't you do this? Puts the king in an awkward spot. Like all of a sudden this king would say, well, no, no. But the, he has to say, yes, I wonder if he, they have approached and said we found Daniel first. Then he would have backtracked. You know he wants to backtrack. We'll see that in verse 14. Like this man doesn't want to kill Daniel. And so they knew, hey, if we tell him, they, we make it his law, his decree, he's going to have to hold fast to that. Because if he breaks this commandment, he breaks this law he, he um, did, then maybe all the other ones, the, the people of the land, wouldn't have confidence in King Darius. So they stroke the king's ego. And then they said, it's Daniel. Daniel did this. And then they make fun of Daniel, basically. They say, Daniel the exile, Daniel the one that doesn't belong here, Daniel the, the sojourn, Daniel the outsider, Daniel the foreigner. It's a very racist remark. Daniel the, the one from Judah, Daniel the one that's not like us, pays no attention, not to the law, it says, but to the king. Stroked his ego again. And then the king, verse 14, says this. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and, his, and, and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored to the sun, went down to rescue him. See, here's what we know, which is true about Daniel. Daniel's faithfulness is what got him in trouble. Right? Daniel's faithfulness, that this penalty came against him. Here's what one writer says about our faithfulness. Past faithfulness was not meant to be compensation for present unfaithfulness. It was a preparation for more faithfulness. See, all the faithfulness of Daniel, was God was using all of his faithfulness to lead him to this very moment. And I wonder for you and for me, and all the places that God has called us to be faithful that we haven't been faithful because now there's a moment that's coming that we won't be faithful because we haven't what Jesus had been faithful in the little things and yet Daniel and his faithfulness in the little things prepares him for this very moment to stand guard to stand in boldness because of his faith in God to see all that God has done and to deliver him and so here it is the king freaks out then these men came in verse 15 then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that this law of the Medes and the Persians, that, that no injunction or ordinance that the king has established can be changed. Here's, they come maybe mid-morning to the king. 
Maybe the way it happened was Daniel prays by himself. They go to the king. They saw it the first time. They go to the king and say to the king, hey, we need to make a law against praying. They go that afternoon. They set Daniel up. And so for the rest of the afternoon, after they come into the king, the king is pacing all over the palace to figure out a way to set Daniel free. I don't know if you ever had that kind of anxiety, but it is not good. So here's this anxious king looking for a way to rescue Daniel, but he can find no way to rescue him. And then in verse 16, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared, Oh, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. You see, the miracle isn't what's about to happen. Catch that in this story. The miracle is not the rescue of Daniel from the lion's den. The miracle is the courage that God gave Daniel to even pray. That's the miracle. That's the miracle. The miracle happened because of the prayer. See, if it wasn't for the miracle of the prayer, the prayer wouldn't have led us all the way to the the lion's den. So now here Daniel is. He gets cast into the lion's den. And the king says, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you and the stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of the of his lords that nothing might change concerning daniel then verse 18 then uh then the then the king went back to the palace and spent the night fasting and no divisions were brought to him or no entertainment or no food in other words and slept fled from him so catch this picture we got daniel in the lion's den now i'm not saying daniel wasn't scared but you know the safest place in the kingdom that night was the lion's den the the most treacherous place for you and i and that night was the most the the safest place in all the kingdom you know the most dangerous place was the king's palace why for one reason one reason only the presence of god was in the den the presence of anxiety was in the palace and so here's this king pacing the floors of his house trying to figure out man will this god come through will this god come through will this god come through and we get a picture of what's happening in the lion's den in a few verses i some people say he was playing i don't think he had a ball playing like uh, you know, tennis ball with the Lions, I, I, at least I wouldn't. Uh, I don't think he was cowering in the corner either. I think Daniel was in the midst of these ferocious Lions with the confidence that God had done what God was going to do, save him or not. And there, there Daniel is, no anxiety, resting and peaceful it can be, and the king's caught up in anxiety. So then it says this. The king comes, it says, in uh, the verse, it says, then at daybreak, the king rose and he went in haste to the lion's den. Here's this king just pacing and pacing, no sleep, no sleep, no sleep, pacing and pacing. The moment the sun comes up over the horizon, he bolts to the lion's den to see what happened, to see, hey, did his God really come through? Because I couldn't do it for him. 
Like, I'm the most powerful thing in all the world right now. And I couldn't come through for Daniel. But could his God come through for Daniel? So he runs with haste to the lion's den to see what was going on. And he came near the den where Daniel was. And he cried out with a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continued, been able to deliver you from the lion's den? Circle the word Daniel in the Bible. Here's what he's saying. Here's what the word Daniel means in the Bible. It means, my God is judge. God is judge. God is judge. That's what he's saying over and over when he's saying Daniel's name. God is judge. I am not. God is judge. God is judge. Did he come through? Did he come through? And then what do we hear Daniel say? From the pit of the lion's den. Then Daniel said to the king in verse 21, O king, live forever. I would have been like, whatever, king. What? Live forever? Won't you jump down here with me? Live forever. What does it say? Circle this in your Bible. My God. My God sent his angels and shut the mouths of the lions and they have not harmed me. How come? This is important. Because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then here comes the rescue. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the lions. And so Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had what? Trusted God. He trusted God. Now here's the deal. I I don't want to get lost here. It was God, he trusted God either way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they trusted God either way. Remember, either way, whatever you're going to do, God, you are faithful, you're in control, you're sovereign, you are good either way. Right, we see that in Hebrews chapter 11. The, the, the hall of faith, if you will. Right after it says, some were rescued from the mouths of lions. It says, some died. But yet God is still faithful, and yet God is still sovereign, and yet God is still in control. Do we believe that? Or do we just believe that God's sovereign in control when things go our way? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, either way, God is faithful and true and good. So they bring him out, and then the king commanded those men who had been maliciously accusing Daniel who were brought and cast into the lions, and they, their children, and their wives. Now, if you want to know, were these hungry? And they, were they real, or were they cats? These were real, live, crazy lions. What does it say? It says, And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. So these were some hungry lions. But that one verse points us back to God as control of what? All of creation. He spoke to the lions in the den and said, hey, my creation, your mouth is shut for the evening. And creation had to listen. And the moment that Daniel got brought out of the den, God said to the lions, you're free to eat. And boy, did they eat. They had a feast on people. It's sad, but that's what they, they feasted on that day. And then King, the proclamation The proclamation is sent. The king Darius wrote to all the people of the nations and the languages and dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree 
that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Because this is who God is. This is the God of Daniel. I am not that, is what King Darius has said. He said, for he is a living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in, in heaven and on earth. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. He's saying God is sovereign in control of all things. I was eyewitness to that. Is that true for you and me? Have we have an eyewitness account to the sovereignty of God in our lives? And then last but not least, as we get ready to close. So this, at age 90, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You see, God was faithful to Daniel as Daniel was faithful to him all the way to the end. I want to make one connection before we leave here this morning. You see, Daniel is a foreshadow to Christ to come. I want to walk back through and show us how Christ and Daniel are so similar. Remember, we read in Daniel chapter 6, verse 6, all these people conspired against Daniel. In the New Testament, we see the, the priests and, and the elders conspire against Jesus. We, we see that as they conspire against him, they could find no corruption in him. That's what it says in the New Testament of Jesus. So here we have Daniel, no corruption in, in Daniel. We, have, we see Jesus, no corruption could be found in Jesus. It says this, that Daniel was found not guilty of trespassing any law. It says this about Jesus in the New Testament. He was found not guilty about trust, distrusting and um, dis, uh, transgressions of the, the New Testament of the law. We see that Darius was unsuccessful in freeing Jesus. We see that, that Pilate was unsuccessful in freeing Jesus. You remember in, when Jesus went to Pilate, Pilate wanted to free him, but he couldn't. He didn't. He was unsuccessful. We see in Daniel chapter 6, 23, that Daniel trusted in his God. We see in Matthew chapter 26, 24, that Jesus trusted his Father. And the night in the garden, hey, not my will, but your will be done. I'll trust you. We see that Daniel was put into a pit. We see that Jesus was put into a tomb. We see that the next morning the king ran to see what was happening. We see the next morning with Jesus that those three women ran to see if Jesus was still in the tomb. We see at the end that Daniel prospered. We see that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he prospered. But here's the one difference about Jesus and Daniel. See, the one difference is about Jesus and Daniel, that though Daniel lived 90 years, that though all this happened similarly to, to Jesus, the one thing that happened, he prospered, but when he died, he died. He was no more. But you remember that faithful day at the cross when Christ died, he was buried, and for three days he laid in the tomb. Well, three days after Daniel was laid in the tomb, there was no tomb that was broke open and a risen Savior came out. But on the third day with Jesus, a broken tomb happened. The seal was broken and our Lord Jesus came out of the tomb. You see, that's the difference between Daniel and Jesus. You see, that's what's different for you and I. We, we want to look at Daniel's life. We want to model our life after Daniel. But we want to get our hope and strength, not in Daniel and Daniel alone, but in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who broke it all for you and for me. Something that Daniel could never do. 
that as blameless and as righteous and as holy as Daniel was, that he could never take your sins and my sins and take them to the cross so that you and I could be free. But Jesus is God's risen son who died for us so that we could live free lives. You see, it's going to circle back to the sovereignty of God. See, God chose you. You did not choose God. Christ died for you. You did not die for Christ. And God has a passion and a purpose and a plan for your life. And it starts with him. It doesn't start with you. Your plan does not start with you. Your plan starts with his sovereignty over your life. He's sovereign in control of all things. Have we placed our hope and faith in him the same way that Daniel had said that he trusted in his God? I don't know what den you're facing today. I don't know what den you've been cast into today, but it might just be that den is the safest place for you to rest in because of God's holiness and righteousness and presence is in the den with you and the rescue will come. How do we know the rescue comes? Because we have a cross that shows us the rescue comes. Do we believe that this morning? I don't know how long you'll be in the den, but I do know this and I do believe this with all my heart. We have one that will rescue us and pull us the same way Darius did Daniel out of the den, but we have a much greater king to pull us and rescue us. Have you placed your hope and faith in him this morning? Let us pray. Christ, I'm so grateful for you and all the ways that we see you here in Daniel chapter 6. Oh, but Jesus, the thing that you have on Daniel and that you have on every other prophet and every other human that's ever walked the planet is that you are alive today with power and might and majesty and glory and renown, God. You are sovereign and in control of all things. That's what separates you from everyone else, God. And I pray that this morning for me, for us here at Powell's Chapel, God, that we'd place our hope and our faith and our trust in a sovereign God who works all things out for his good and for his glory. And God, I do pray for us. I pray for those this, this morning who feel like they're in the lion's den or about to be cast into the lion's den, God. I pray that through your Holy Spirit in this moment, They will hear you say, I am with you. I'm not saying it's not fearful in the den. I'm not saying it's not dangerous in the den. I'm not saying any of that, God. What I am saying and declaring out loud that if you are with me, nothing can harm me. God, they can harm the body. can't rob the soul because you are with us in the den. So God, I pray that you'd give people this morning, myself included, much hope that we would believe that you're sovereign and you're with us and you're in control of all things. That we come and we really would believe that 
you will deliver us with your mighty right hand. Pray this in the famous name of Jesus Christ. Amen.